The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. P. Nate, Elder P, Wetsy, Garage Mahal. It's a glorious day. Nate, how you doing? I'm doing well. Summer's treating you well? So far, so good, yeah. So far. Got, got some things on the horizon. Got a wedding to do next week. Lots of good stuff going on. Can I ask you a question? I know people can't see you, but you're also famous on Facebook. So <laughs> famous I use with air quotes. Um, yeah. Is the mustache going after the wedding? I believe so. I believe so. Nice. So I'm going to try one thing after. <laughs> So I'm very curious. the mullet's going to, the mullet's going to go, but that'll go first. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of grow out my beard. So it's scruffy beard, yeah, yeah, but keep the stash thicker and kind of do like a Yosemite Sam, like try to get the stash not curled up, but just like out a little bit. So it'd be like mustache is like more defined and then the beard underneath. That's my plan. Yeah, I didn't think I could dislike what you were doing on your face more. <laughs> I'm just going to try. Then, I'm just going to try. Um, I, do you want me to just go to a soul patch? No, what I want you... No, no, no. Please <laughs> never do that. If you have a soul patch and you're listening to this the show, stop it and become a man. <laughs> Get sanctified like, and shake your face. <laughs> like, you, like you've lost your man card. I want you to kind of go back to the Jack Shepard look. Buzz the head. Scruff. You know, just scruff the scruff. And, yeah. and just like, because that's the night that I know. That's the night that I love. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> this, this one's an intruder. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, so. You know, funny. Uh, the reason I brought that up, I've had three of the questions because we asked for questions a few weeks ago in the Cosmo. Yeah. Like three of the people who sent in questions and like, I didn't know any of their names. These people are all people who just listen, but I don't know them personally. All had like a tack on about your mustache. Positive or negative? I won't say. Um, <laughs> more, more just curious. Like, why? Like, um, so I thought it was important for us to address the issue. Fair enough. The elephant on your face, <laughs> so to speak. Um, Interestingly, so you may have been able to tell from the title of this episode, but we're taking a little bit of a break from the cosmology series. We're going to come back to it. We actually got a ton of questions. So just so you know, the the rebel podcast, FLF at gmail.com has gotten about five or six different emails all in very high support of the uh, series with some questions as well. So we got a bunch of questions to work through. So we just have to kind of sift those, see what goes together, because it looks like we're going to be doing several more Q&A episodes on that. So don't worry, we're not done. And we did get your, your questions and we'll get back to you and we'll get some answers on the podcast. But that's not what today is about. Today, we're going to talk about Sound of Freedom. Yes. Chris and I both had a chance to see it. Let's just say that there will probably be some spoilers in our shows. Like, So if you haven't seen it, it's not the kind of movie where it's, I guess we will spoil some things. Yeah, yeah we're going to spoil some things. It's not a movie things, where a spoiler matters. Like, I don't it's a, think so. It's a true story. You probably already know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's more the content we want to talk about. Yeah, but obviously this movie has taken North America by storm. 
I think it's up to like $88 million box office blowout, which yeah. is incredible for a, like it's beating out Indiana Jones and a bunch of other like high blockbuster things. So it's obviously a movie that's resonating with the country. So that's what we're going to talk about. And so hopefully this is helpful for you just as somebody who maybe has seen it, wondering whether or not you should see it. Colleen and I were able to get out on a date. We, we actually went and saw Sound of Freedom on our anniversary. I don't know if that's a, it's not a super, so yeah, it's not a super so romantic. romantic, but we went out for dinner and then we went out to this and we were actually talking to our server and he was like, cause he offered us a free dessert for our anniversary. And uh, we were talking about going and catching this movie. So we were able to even talk to the server about it a little bit, which was interesting. And it's just, it's interesting the kinds of conversations that come from a movie like this. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Obviously, one of the the main things about this podcast is to equip you to engage culture. And one of the best ways you can engage culture is have culturally relevant, faith-filled conversations in your spheres of influence. So we want to equip you to do that and just talk about the movie a little bit. So did you like the movie, Chris? That's even a hard question to answer because like, yes, I did enjoy the movie in terms of like, I'm glad it was made. I thought it was well done. I thought it was well acted. I was actually quite impressed with just the quality of the actual storytelling. Yeah, yeah. this is probably something I just need to repent of. Like the moment something is like linked to kind of the Christian artistic scene, my expectations drop very far. Like I expect low budget. I expect bad acting. And this just wasn't that at all. It was actually quite well done. What they did in the movie was actually great. But I can't say I love the movie because I don't think I ever want to watch it again. Yeah. It's not a story that I've like, I'm going to leave being like, oh, that was an enjoyable time, so to speak. Like it was like actually probably a very hard two hours to sit through. You know, I generally go to the movies by myself. I'm weirdo, like get popcorn and all that stuff. And like I had popcorn and I couldn't eat the popcorn. It was just like, it was like, it's not the kind of movie you're going to do that. Like I kind of sat there and like, it's weird. You're alone in the theater, but I wasn't alone. There was like tons of other people, but I I was by myself and like I'm shedding tears and I like cried like six times in my entire life. Like, so it's just really, really weird. So if you factor in all those things, I would say I, I liked the movie, but yep. I wish it was a movie that never had to be made if, if that was the way I would look at it. What did you think of it? Yeah, I would echo everything that you said. It was definitely a hard movie to watch. Um, there were a couple times when I was emotional watching it and Colleen kind of leaned over to me and said, do you want to just leave? Like, do you want to stay? And I mean, she was emotional too. It's not like my wife was consoling me. We were, it was It's emotional, right? Like, so the two main children that the story focuses on I think they're supposed to be like 11 and 8 but I mean the actors look to me like they're like 7 and 5s which is right the age of my kids it was just hard to watch right and the two kids who are taken at the beginning you just feel for the dad right and some of the I forget that actor's name he's a good actor but there there are a couple really heart-wrenching scenes where he's talking like even when they get the boy back And he's talking about like, would you be able to sleep knowing that one of your kids' beds is empty? Like there's some heartbreaking scenes in there that were really just hard to watch. But then of course, like you're dealing with human trafficking, like child human trafficking, which means you're obviously dealing with pedophiles, pedophilia, sex with kids and all that kind of stuff, which is always hard to watch. So even in the implications, and I did think that the, the film did things fairly tastefully, if I can even use that, that's not really the right adjective, but like They didn't show anything. They never crossed any lines. They didn't even overly sexualize anything. Like it was always the guy goes into the room, the kid looks scared. They close the curtains and and just imply what happened. Right. So which is how we we've said before how we wish every movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Did sex scenes, whether it's consensual adults, you know, like anything. So they did all that quite well. So it's not like there's heart, but 
it's still, it's, it's hard to watch. Like it's just, you know what they're implying and what they're implying is probably one of the most heinous sins and crimes that can be committed. It's grotesque in all of that way. But like I said, they don't show it, which obviously I appreciate. Like, obviously, they're not going to show it, but they, they don't even cross any lines. There are far more inappropriate scenes on HBO than there are in this movie. Exactly. Again, minor spoiler, just so yeah. skip for a minute if you don't want to hear this. That part at the very beginning when he befriends the pedophile, yeah. convinces him that he's... And then soon as he, like, the guy finally does the thing he wants to bring the kid, he starts quoting Luke. Yeah. And it's like about the Milsa. So and I was just like, that is... So true. And like the overwhelming feeling I had when I watched the movie was anger that this is yeah. happening. And like, truthfully, just up front, some of it was anger that like I knew some of the history with Hollywood, like not wanting to show the movie. And like, yeah. you know, we've we've spoken very openly about like how much we think the depravity of man has run rampant in, in Hollywood. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. that. That'll be a big part of what we're talking about it, today. But exactly. So like there was an anger that like that was a thing that's happening. And like we and it just. People just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But then there was this like this overwhelming feeling of impotency, like impotency. Like, is that the habit? Imp- impotency? That's <laughs> like, the word yeah, I was looking yeah, for. Okay. Words are hard. Where it's just like, I can't do anything about this. We're here to equip you guys oftentimes. But if you have good ideas of how we can mobilize or whatever, feel free to shoot those ideas. Because like that was the feeling I had yeah. when I left the theater. I was like, I'm a doer and I'm generally a f- like I try to fix things. That's kind of like and. I like left the theater being like, I can't do anything about this. I don't even know where to begin other than just fall down and pray. You know what I mean? And so I probably spent half the movie just almost raging in my seat. You know what I mean? And and it is very aggravating. Colleen and I said that after we were done watching it, we kind of debriefed is she was like, I was just angry more than sad. Don't get me wrong. There are sad parts. It's heartbreaking and a lot of things, but most of it is just anger, like anger that there are people who do this. A guy who believes wholeheartedly in the in the total depravity of man, and that's a theology and a, a doctrine that I've been teaching for years and years. I embrace it fully. I understand this is what the Bible says. And yet I think we're all still surprised at the depths of the depravity of man when you're actually confronted with it. And the reality, and I think this is kind of, I guess, the strongest part of the movie um, in terms of its overall impact, and we'll talk a little bit about, about its impact, is that it offends people's sensibilities. This is still an area where most people can get outraged about. And so it does confront people's good social sensibilities. For that reason, it's hard too, because it just kind of puts you out of your comfort zone. It's easy for us to drive home from our jobs in our concrete jungles and get home and open our door and have a nice meal and play with our kids and and all this kind of stuff and forget that this is reality and this is life for a lot of people. So anything that kind of pulls you out of and makes you aware of the sin in the world and how much work there is to do. We do have some thoughts on calls to action, but I think for a lot of us, if you're anything like Chris and I, they won't necessarily be satisfactory, but they are necessary starting points. So we will get there. Let's talk a little bit, I guess, about the story of the film, not the story in the movie, like we think you should go see the movie, but let's just talk about the story of the film in general. Because I do think whether you can stomach this film or not, I think you should support it. I think you should go and buy tickets, whether you show up to watch it or not. I think you should do everything you can. Even even after you've seen it, if you are have the financial means, buy some tickets later on like I think you should support this kind of film because we want more people to be courageous and I would just say like I'm not trying to put on my tinfoil hat here but I would say that there are documentaries 
that have been trying to get off the ground in Hollywood about Epstein's Island or Weinstein's Island, about uh, documentaries about sexual corruption in Hollywood and child trafficking in Hollywood and stuff like that. I don't know how many people know this kind of stuff. The woman that Alec Baldwin shot on the uh, Hollywood set, was that about a year, a year and a half ago? Yeah. Right? She was shooting a documentary about child trafficking in Hollywood. I'm not making any accusations. I'm not saying Alec Baldwin shot her on purpose, but I'm just saying there are things. What are the guys? Yeah. So the, the other one that we were talking about the other day was Chris Cornell, who is this, the lead singer for an alternative rock band named Soundgarden. Yep. And then Chester Bennington, who is the lead singer of Linkin Park, another metal band. Both committed suicide within a three-week period. But what actually has come out recently and now I was told this third hand I haven't I can't verify this but it's just the ideas is this is that they they were actually putting together a documentary about pedophilia in Hollywood yeah and like they were using some of the resources to do this and then they both committed suicide they were both suicided like (laughs) suicided within and like I can't speak for Chris Cornell. I'm not a, I wasn't a Soundgarden guy. So like, but like Linkin Park was a band I'm actually fairly into. And I remember like seeing like some of the reports, like 12 hours before he allegedly got to this dark place that he killed himself. You're talking he, about Chester. Yeah. Chester. Yeah. He was playing with his kids, like making plans to go. The crime scene also isn't consistent with a suicide. So right. it's just like, I'm not saying again, we're not. I'm not saying Hollywood killed him, but the point is, is that there seems to be a lot of people who are pushing these things or, or starting to bring these things to light who are dying in mysterious circumstances. Epstein's another blatant example. Yeah, right? like, like it was trending for how long, right? Epstein didn't kill himself. And then you can look up Giselle Maxwell and her involvement in all this. And, and so and interestingly, like lists have come out from undercover sting operations about Hollywood celebrities who have been at Epstein's Island and all this kind of stuff. So like. This is kind of, yeah. I mean... And oddly enough, a lot of those guys, Tom Hanks is the one that sticks out to me, who's on that list, and he's one of the people who are, like, bad-mouthing this, this movie. Right. And it's like... Well, and that's the connection I want to make. So, I, like, again, we're not putting on the tinfoil hats here, and we're, we're like, we're not saying... Because I've seen some people on social media about, you know, oh, my ticket reservations didn't work out. People are stopping people from seeing this movie and stuff. Not everything is a conspiracy theory. Not everybody is working against this. But... Let's just talk a little bit because I do think it is quite interesting. Now, don't get me wrong. Movies get shelved and not made all the time. 100%. Right? That's, this is why when you, you were the one who, who mentioned this to me, so I'm going to steal your analogy. But like when you see a movie on Netflix and you're like, oh, that's a big actor. I, didn't, I don't remember seeing ads for that. It's because the movie just didn't get made. And then Netflix gets the rights to it at a very reduced cost because it never made it to theaters or whatever. So yeah, it's this like, happens it, all the time. Yeah, it's like 40% of movies that are filmed, edited don't ever actually make it to the big screen. Right. Like um, they either go just to festivals or they just go straight to streaming. Yeah. Um, Because like at the end of the day, junkets cost tons of money and like production is production, right? So like they don't put everything out in the theater. Right. So again, we're not saying that this is all conspiratorial, but it is interesting that this movie got made. It's got some decent actors in it. I think it's a well-made movie. It's obviously compelling, but Netflix sat on this for a long time, right? And wouldn't release it. Which is kind of interesting because Netflix, I mean, there isn't production value at this point, right? They're they're just putting it onto their streaming service. So they didn't do it. Same with Disney. Disney, and again, they might not have uh, put it out into theaters, but they could have just put it on their streaming service. So both of them own the rights to this for a little while. It sat on the shelves until they put it out privately. And of course, it's obviously resonated with people because it's the highest grossing movie in July in North America, period. So... (laughs) Here's the question or where I'd want to go with this. It's not necessarily conspiratorial that it didn't get made by these other places, 
But there's two aspects of this that I want to talk about is number one, the reaction of the movie companies, and then just the reaction of mainstream media. So let's just talk about those two things. First of all, it would take nothing for some PR person in Disney or Netflix to be like, you know what, you know, our people see a lot of films, you know, this is one that we didn't think would resonate with people as much as it did. Obviously, we didn't release it, but we're glad to see it's doing well. If they'd have said that, controversy over. Exactly. Right? But they didn't. They had to badmouth it. They had to say that it shouldn't have been made. They had to say that it was full of conspiracy theories. The fact that you didn't want to see this do well actually seems to indicate that there's more going on here. If you had it just like applauded from the sideline, I guess we missed on that one. Like, good for them, though. Controversy over. But that's not how anybody has responded. No, exactly. Like, we had that conversation. If they said nothing about it and it was just like, yeah, we sat on it for five years, whatever. Yep. Literally, it would have actually probably done less, which means less people would have seen it because of the fact that like, what's the analogy that everybody always says? There is no such thing as bad publicity. Right. Even negative reviews are going to drive people to the theater. So like, I actually think part of their reaction to it is just one, it is stupidity. But I also think it's like, there's a little bit of spiritual aspect of in terms of like, they'll say stupid things. They just won't think this through and that'll drive more people to see the movie. I went at noon on a weekday. And the theater was packed. Like part of that is like the negative publicity is driving more people to go see it. Like when it first was launched, it was being shown like once every three days in the theaters in London. Yeah. And now it's like there's like seven showings of it in town today. It opened July 4th, didn't it? Yeah, I think that weekend. Yeah. And so Colleen, I just saw it on the 16th. Right. And so two weeks later and we literally bought the last two tickets that were available. That was a Sunday evening. And then uh, we had friends who went and saw it the next day. So it's a Monday evening. Mm. Again, sold out. They were there and there wasn't a, an empty seat in the place. So obviously it's resonating with people. Yeah. And the fact that people didn't want it made. But it goes, I guess, beyond that. So then the question is the reaction of individuals. So there's the movie studios, their responses, and then there's the responses of individuals. So you do have people like Tom Hanks, which is like, it's crazy to me. Like, again, like... How often do you have people come out and just bash other movies in Hollywood? Normally they'll say, like, even if there's a big box office failure, they'll be like, well, people don't understand how hard it is to make. They, they kind of have each other's backs in this. But you have all these Hollywood bigwigs who are just really, I think, very publicly bashing it. Yeah. It's hard not to just assume that the reason they're so anti this movie being shown is because it's too close to right. reality. Like, generally, once you start following the money of something and finding out who's involved and who's taking parts of the pie, who's actually involved in something, things just start to get shut down. And so like, if what we're saying is true, and I think a lot of people who are listening to our podcast probably would say there's, this seems to be kind of a a prevalent and a, a rampant thing in Hollywood. It makes sense that they would fight against this becoming mainstream awareness because like if some of the stats that I I like I looked them up and they seem to be legitimate that this is the fastest growing industry in the world human trafficking that is yep 150 billion dollar a year industry yep it makes complete sense that the politicians some of the movie producers some of the people who are using the funds are some of the people who are either a involved in it or b just benefiting from that industry and so it's like one of those things where it's like well there is no desire from them to have this go public so like again maybe it was just disney put it on the shelf didn't think it people would see it doesn't really fit with what their agenda is you know because like let's be honest everybody has an agenda yep 
Maybe that's it. Or maybe it was simply they were just like, we can't let this movie be shown. Right. The contract expired and then Angel Studios was able to put it out. Because like, again, spoilers for the next second, like Epstein Island has been over the internet for two and a half years, three years. Yeah. And what's one of the big scenes in, is like they try to make an island that has a sex hotel on it. And it's yep. like, that's a little too close to like, and that, like I verified this, that's a true story. Yep. Like, but it's a little too close to what's actually has really happened. If there's anything Hollywood doesn't want to hear about right now, it's Epstein Island again. Yeah, yeah. There's a massive drive to keep that quiet from guys like Tom Hanks and like Angelina Jolie. A lot of these people who have said bad things about this movie for it to not be shown for people to not go see because they have a vested interest in not having everybody reminded that they're part of the people who went to that depraved island that like a lot of reports say was this thing happening on the island. So I think it's simply protection. And we live in a culture like of whoever the loudest voice is, is generally the one most people listen to. So if you get Tom Hanks and a whole bunch of celebrities coming out and be like, oh, it's all conspiracy theories. Well, eight out of 10 people in the United States and in Canada are going to hear that and be like, well, okay, then it's conspiracy theory because they say it's a conspiracy theory without actually watching the movie, without actually researching any of the stuff about what actually is happening in the world with human trafficking. There's a line in the movie, so I'm just ranting now, but- um, No, no, go for it. The line that literally just broke me in the movie was when he was comparing this to the drug trade. Yeah. If anybody's listening to this and wants my thoughts on the drug trade, that was a war we tried to fight and we lost. Simply put, we lost the war on drugs to the point where like we don't even try to fight drugs anymore. We just legalize them. But the line that broke me was when they're like, we can sell an ounce of cocaine once and it's gone. I can sell a kid 10 times a day for 15 years before I have to worry about replacing my product. Just the mindset that these people had about the children were products, not humans. Like I was blubbering in the the theater. And I think the problem is that we get tons of people in Hollywood who have no accountability. They don't believe in a higher power. So there's no authority above the state at that point. They have all the money in the world. So they're never actually going to be punished for any of the things they do this side of eternity. They just go to the point where it's like, well, they have to chase the next thing, but they actually have no recourse. So they don't even think about these people as humans. So that's why I feel so impotent. I'm like, I want to flip cars in Hollywood, but we can't. Just so that we're backing up what we're saying in terms of how people are responding. I, I just find this interesting. So this is a National Public Radio article that came out on July 19th today. The headline is QAnon supporters are promoting Sound of Freedom. Here's why. It starts off, Sound of Freedom, a Christian thriller about a former federal agent rescuing children from exploitation is the summer's surprise box office hit. It goes through with how much it's made. Interestingly, it calls it a Christian thriller. The movie maker is a Mormon and the main actor is a devout Catholic. So yeah, get your facts straight. We're going to talk about that stuff in a little bit as well, because I've seen some Christians responding equally, but different unhelpful ways. So it says the film is based on a real life controversial anti-trafficking activist and is being heavily promoted by the conservative media. So again... Why is the real-life hero of this story a controversial anti-trafficking activist? Why is anti-trafficking controversial? Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's being heavily promoted by the conservative media. So immediately, if you're liberal and you're hearing that, you're going, oh, so should I not want this? It says, in fact, former President Donald Trump is hosting a private screening on Wednesday at his golf club in uh, wherever, New Jersey. So you're now linking the film with QAnon, <laughs> with conservatives, with Donald Trump, And you're saying that the main guy that it's based on is a controversial political figure. 
A big part of its success is an appeal from its star, Jim Caviezel, who comes on screen at the ending, urging viewers to buy more tickets so other people can see it and help end child trafficking. Caviezel, who previously played Jesus in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, is also drawing attention to the film in other ways. For years, he's been a prominent promoter of the false, violent, QAnon conspiracy theory, specifically the baseless claim that an international cabal of elites is abusing and killing children to extract a substance called adrenochrome. So I don't know how many people are into QAnon stuff, but like basically the idea here is that QAnon just becomes a meaningless derogatory term that they can attach to anybody who's from their perspective far right. So QAnon describes a group of people who would subscribe to the idea that there are world elites who are involved in child trafficking. That's essentially what it comes down to. And based on the film, right, like based on, on the actual testimony of the film and the filmmaker and the individuals who helped make the film possible, that's actually just straight up true. Now, how far reaching you think it is, whether or not you think they're, they're extracting adrenochrome and all that kind of stuff, that's inconsequential at this point. Like at the end of the day, and again, you can look up these stats. Part of the problem is that the place to find straight stats that aren't being used and couched and manipulated to say their point of view is becoming far less because when a movie comes out like this, again, you think stopping child trafficking is something that everybody on the right or the left can get behind. And yet it's getting politicized in such a way that now you start looking up, especially if you use Google still, use DuckDuckGo for goodness sake, people, then you're going to get all kinds of why the US isn't the greatest user of child sex, which is actually actually just true. So at the end of the film, it's the fastest growing industry in the world, $150 billion annual industry, child sex trafficking is. And the US is the number one consumer of child sex, number one in the entire world. Yeah, stop for there for just one second. So let's just do some logic math here. Yep. There's 337 million people in the United States. Yeah. There's a billion in India and a billion in China. So the states, 330 million consume more than, than any of those yeah so asia basically yeah. then that means like the stat where people talk about like you know one in 15 people are suffer with pedophilia or however they put it seems to be super low you right know i mean like because 150 billion a year industry again verifiable stats isn't a small percentage of people being trafficked in it's the world. a lot like yeah. that's millions of people if the states is the biggest, that means that means there's millions of people partaking in this in the United States. Again, these are just verifiable stats. And I would encourage you to go on International Justice Mission is one parachurch ministry that both Chris and I are familiar with. We've both uh, done fundraisers and events with the International Justice Mission. And they've been involved in this for years before it was cool, so to speak. And you can go on their website, IJM.org, and you can look at some of these statistics and they back it all up. They show it. But like, so again, it is just straight up true that right now there are more slaves, active slaves in the world than there were even when slavery was legal. Yeah. There are more slaves in bondage, in slavery right now than there has been at any other time in human history. You think back to like ancient days when the pyramids were built on the backs of slaves and all this kind of stuff, more slaves. And the vast majority of them are children. Yeah. The vast majority of them are children. Do you think part of the reason that nobody in our culture, when I say our culture, I mean the West, lump like England and France and all yeah, that. Yeah. Do you think the main reason that we don't seem to care about this is that it's not white kids that are disappearing? Mm. The movie portrays it's couple kids from Honduras getting taken to Colombia who get shipped to Singapore. It's a lot of Asian kids disappearing. It's a lot of kids that are, aren't mm. in countries where there's law enforcement that actually works. Right. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie um, 
A time, time to, to kill. kill. There you go. Like, yeah, and yeah, and yeah, yeah. that that poignant line at the end of the movie where he's like, "Now imagine she's white." Yeah. And everybody's like, "Oh my word!" Like, because we all somehow did that. I wonder if like how much of that is just playing out in our culture, where it's because it's not the politicians' kids that are disappearing. It's not Tom Hanks's kids that right. are that are gone. And I'm not saying that there aren't kids in our culture who are being abused. That like absolutely there is, and that's yep. we should be Fighting destroying that too. too yeah. You know what I mean? The general public. It's more comfortable to side with the liberals in this in this aspect because we don't want to admit that it's happening, but it's easy to ignore it because it's not happening next door. Sounds- yeah, I think that's an astute observation. I think you're right. And I think a lot of times, and that is sort of a, a very selfish but very Western mentality. If it's not hurting you, then why care kind of thing, right? But, and we say all the time, like, all sin needs to do to win is secrecy and opportunity. Yeah. And so, like, the more we keep it secret— Yeah. The more that this doesn't get light shine. And that's why I'm so happy this movie was made and happy like right. because the more it's put out there, the more this comes to light and people all of a sudden start noticing things like, oh, it's not normal that this fifty year old guy hangs out at schools. That's like a weird example, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like So just another this is maybe, I guess, even though I hate the word, maybe a more nuanced article. So this is from Polarisproject.com and they're talking about it. And wait, so listen to what they do. Basically talking a little bit about the movie and disparaging the movie, but this is what they say. Polaris continues to believe that the true heroes in the anti-trafficking movement have been and always will be the survivors of sex and labor trafficking. We think the focus of the movement should remain on those who lived the experience. And then they go on to kind of disparage what they didn't like about the movie is that it made the officers, uh, yeah, the, officers the heroes when the real heroes are the survivors. It's again, it's kind of like when you're talking about whether or not people should be allowed to kill their babies. And they're like, well, if you don't have a a uterus, then you get no opinion on this. It's like, no, no, we're talking about boys and girls getting slaughtered in the womb legally. Yeah, I'm allowed to have an opinion on this. So it's just interesting that so whether it's a nuanced approach, but all you have to do is honestly just go sound of freedom on Google or whatever and hit news. And you're going to see all kinds of backlash against the film and trying to discredit the whole thing, which is just really interesting. So for that reason, I think that Christians should support this project, go and buy tickets and support the movie being made, because I do think that making people aware of this and exposing the sin and, and everything is really important. Now, that gets me to another side. I've also seen some people, I saw our our buddy, uh, Dr. Aaron Rock, he threw up like, hey, saw Sound of Freedom, it's worth supporting, go see it. And it was just amazing, like Aaron always gets lots of traffic on his social media posts because he's kind of a social media warrior, right? Like he's always pretty controversial and and out there and stuff. I was surprised to see how many Christians were like, oh, Christians shouldn't be supporting this because it's a Mormon film. Even the, the kind of one of the famous lines in it is when he says, you know, God's children are not for sale. And of course, in Mormon theology, we're all children of God, not just in the abstract sense, but in the actual like God has birthed us as offspring kind of sense. Are we supporting theological error by supporting the film and all this kind of stuff? And I would just say like, guys, fight the right battle, guys. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Tim Ballard, who made the film, he is a Mormon, and Jim Caviezel is a Catholic. Do I think that either of them are saved? Not necessarily. I don't know a whole lot about Jim Caviezel. It's possible. I think that they're, you know, G.K. Chesterton was saved. Dude was a Catholic. So I don't know about their personal things, but I would just say this is the kind of film that we should support. And if you want a more Christian perspective put out on this stuff, 
then get at it. Go put art and media and film underneath the feet of Jesus in victory, but don't disparage the film because it's a Mormon and not somebody else who made the film. If this was a completely secular guy, we would still say, go see the film because it's exposing actual sin in Hollywood. And God can, as we say all the time on this, strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Yeah, I would have a little bit of sympathy for that argument if it was the chosen, because like that's a that's, Mormon that, made. Yes, and, and I, I and I have some reservations about that. Yeah, and I think God still can use it, but I have way more reservations about the chosen than I do about this film. Exactly, this movie is not a theological like it's not making an exposition about the divinity of Christ or any any of those right. things. Like we can go arm in arm with the Mormons to stop human trafficking, and we should. You Just know what like, I mean? like we can link arms with Catholics to end abortion. Absolutely. Right. Like, absolutely. So, yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's actually like. This is just that wisdom. Yeah, I (laughs) agree. And this is that understanding. There are brothers in arms, there are allies, and there are co belligerents. (laughs) And understanding the difference between each of those categories is actually a a result of biblical wisdom. It's actually the immature believer who says, I can only partner with people who agree with me on all these various things. That's the insular Christianity that I don't think is going to get anywhere. Have you ever played Risk? Yeah, like, of course. I always think like every analogy breaks down, but the whole game is about you make friends with some people to no, destroy no, other people. No. The whole game is about getting Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the strategy to win the game. If I get Australia, I can't lose. Yeah, like it's just I'll just sit there the whole time. One out army and Australia. Anyway, that's the point. But the whole idea is like you make allies to team up so that it's like, oh, like we'll be together to defeat them with the full knowledge that you're eventually going to go to war with that person. Yeah. And so like when we're playing out this idea of like with Mormons and like Catholics, we're not saying we're going to be friends with them forever. We're saying there's battles to be fought that are much, much more pressing. Like we got to destroy. And we're not the, saying worship with them on Sunday morning. <laughs> exactly. We got to defeat the pink army before we get to the green one later. I use them pink specifically, but <laughs> like obviously we all recognize that the Mormon faith needs to be eradicated under the feet of Christ. It doesn't mean that I can't link arms with a Mormon tomorrow to fight human trafficking. For this, yeah. And I I know a lot of our listeners are big Apologia fans. I know that Jeff Durbin and James White are doing a great job at sort of ministry and evangelism to Mormons. They aren't saved, right? Like, it is a cult. I do understand all of that. We're not saying link arms with them and have Bible studies with them. We're not saying have joint worship services with them. We're not saying that. We are saying if they're putting out movies that are shining a light on child trafficking in Hollywood— then you should support the movie. That's what we're saying. Yeah, because we're supporting the movie, not them. You know, right, you know I mean? exactly. Like, even though it's in, okay, uh, so <laughs> I don't know if you want to go anywhere else. With it. We, we've talked for 40 minutes, but I, I do kind of want to get to a call to action. You good with that? Of course. Is there anything else you want to say? I could talk about this for hours, but I don't actually have any coherent thoughts. It's just ranting. We all like, love pootie rants. If you guys want a pootie rant, then I would say sign up for Patreon <laughs> and then request it, and we can give you hours of pootie rants. Invite me over for cigars. Okay. Here's what I want to say in terms of a call to action, because I think that there are some Christians, and we do this all the time, where we go and we support Sound of Freedom, we pat ourselves on the back because we're part of the solution, not the problem. So I want to say a couple things really clearly. First and foremost, I would say that anybody who has supported in any way the Drag Queen Story Hour crap, any of the alphabet mafia pushing through in terms of gender-neutral washrooms, like any of that stuff, you're part of the problem. So I would take it even farther than that. Well, yeah, and and I'm going to. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I just because I want to because I kind of want to get progressively closer to home here. Right. That's (laughs) that's sort of my strategy in this, because I would say there are non-Christian people and I know them because I've talked to them 
who are in support of this movie because they're against child trafficking, but they are for Drag Queen Story Hour. And I would just say, you can't do that. They are both exploiting children and they are closely linked. You are a part of this movement if you are supporting Drag Queen Story Hour. Second thing I would say is let's push it even closer to home. If you are watching pornography at home, you are part of the problem, okay? The vast majority of people who are in the sex trade are actually the people that you watch when you log on to Pornhub or wherever else it is that you're watching pornography. Many of them are underage or many of them have been doing these things off camera for years prior to getting on camera. Many of the people that have been saved through the sex trade are people who then there's a whole other department in Homeland Security that actually deals with once somebody is rescued, actually erasing their thumbprint from the internet in terms of all the videos that were illegally put out there. There's a whole other department for that. The vast majority in all of those movies that you're watching, that you're whacking off to, that you think is not as bad as this, it's part of the problem. And it's part of the problem in two different ways. Like I just said, number one, a lot of the people that you're watching either are or have been underage people who are involved in sex trafficking, or even number two, you're part of the sexual perversion. And this is it. There's no breaks on the sexual revolution. So what starts with just the ability for free sex and moves into morning after pills and abortion on demand and all this kind of stuff, there's no breaks on that sexual revolution. It goes all the way to pedophilia. And make no mistake, there are millions of people in this world who even right now, somehow they are strategizing on how to get P thrown into the LGBT two plus whatever that is for pedophilia, because they are looking for this just to be another thing on the long list of sexual liberties that they've obtained through the progressive activism. Amen. So if you're asking the question, how can you fight this? Because you feel impotent about how to do it. Number one, kick your porn habit. That's number one. Number two, help people around you kick their porn habit. Ask people in your small group, ask your friends, ask them if they are addicted to pornography. Let's weed this out of the church because statistically speaking, Porn is running rampant in our churches as well. The other thing I would just say is if you're part of a church that's not doing anything to combat some of these social evils like the Drag Queen Story Hour, then you are actually complicit in some of this because you might not be able to send people over to like Jim Caviezel in the movie, but what you can do is you can fight this locally. So you should be fighting it locally. That means opposing Drag Queen Story Hours, opposing gender neutral washrooms in the public schools, all that kind of stuff. We should be combating that because that's something that we can actually do locally. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is don't just virtue signal. Right actually do something. And now the truth is almost nobody's going to be able to do what Jim Caviezel's character. I can't remember the guy's real name did in the movie. And I think go it was like, still Jim, wasn't it? Tim, I think. Tim, yeah. You're Tim, right. Tim, 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 Tim Ballard, apparently. Let's see, that's two for you today, buddy. Um, but like <laughs> everybody's called to fight in their own way, like which means you might just have to write letters every day. And, yeah. and like you might just be blessed in terms of resources. So your resources to fund yeah. th- these types of things. And it might just like you go and hold the sign at the protest. And the point is that we can't just do what the left does and just throw it up on social media, change our our like, banner and think we've done and think, part, and think yeah. we've done anything to combat this because at the end of the day, one, they hide almost all of us. So and then two, like saying you're against something doesn't mean anything. And that's faith without works. So we have to actually put that in practice. And I said earlier, like there's lots of good things already happening that you can do fight like IGM, stuff like that. But like also strategize because like there's probably more we could do to fight these things. Like Apologia is a great example of one church that decided to get actually serious about fighting abortion. And like 
we don't have time to go into it, but they've done amazing yeah. things to, to, to actually fight abortion and end abortion in, in Arizona. Imagine what it would take if all of the churches, which should be a universal thing, yeah. like even though we didn't agree on COVID and things like that, this is one we should all be able to easily rally around. Yeah. We should be marching on Ottawa like the trucker combo demanding that porn be taken off the internet in Canada. There's something we could do without any work at all. Well, um, it would take a lot of work, but I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, like I'm not organizing yeah. it. I'm all attend, but I'm not but those, That's exactly right. So when you're asking the question, how can I get involved in battling the sex trafficking pandemic or whatever you want to call it, I would just say you might not be able to fight on the front lines like some of the uh, anti-trafficking officers and activists and stuff like that. But what you can do is you can fight it in all of its iterations. And this is all part of the same sexual perversion. Anything outside of one husband, one wife, and a sexual union is sexual perversion. And it all leads, read Romans 1, it all leads here, right? It is all progressive. It's never satiated. It all gets worse. It all gets darker. So battle it where you can. And one of the main ways you can do that is to battle it in your own heart and in the spheres in which God's placed you. Amen. All right. That was a dark episode. Eh? Yeah, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, there you go. So there's the practical advice from us. If you have any thoughts on the movie or anything that you uh, think that we missed, maybe come back, circle around, ask the questions on these social media posts or uh, pose some questions to us and maybe we'll do a follow-up. Yeah.